I knew that was going to happen. Pause for just a second. The microphone. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. <laughs> so sorry about that. All kinds of things have happened this morning. You know, the power went out last week. Boy, talk about missed weather forecast last week. But nevertheless, it was rain Sunday morning when it was supposed to be snow, and then Sunday night. I don't know how much ice you got, but we got walloped up here on the hill. But nevertheless, when that happened, power goes out, and then all kinds of things happen with furnaces. But nevertheless, it is so good to be with you this morning. Welcome to Old Providence Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. It really is a blessing to have this time together, and I welcome you. Whether you are a brand new visitor, or a visitor, or a member, or a lifelong member, or whatever it is that you are, I am delighted that the Lord has given us this time to worship him and worship we shall. But first, let me just point you to the, to the bulletin. Lots and lots of things are going on. Little Lambs and Youth Group is tonight at 530. The deacons are meeting at 530. Where's Gary Gearhart? Yeah, they're not in here yet. But deacons are meeting at 530 tonight. We have our home Bible study Tuesday at 7. Prayer meeting is Wednesday night at 645. And one week from today, we're going to celebrate communion together. So please do take the time to prepare your hearts for that next week. And speaking of next week, beginning next week, Sunday school has been switched around. Sunday school will be at 9 a.m. and the worship service will be at 10 a.m. like we have been normally having it. So please be aware of that. Now, I believe that's enough announcements again. We are so happy that the Lord has given us this time together. If I haven't met you before, please come and, and see me. I'll be out under the portico afterwards. I'd love to meet you. Um, let's prepare our hearts now. God has given us this time. Let's prepare our hearts as we come into it, as Donna leads us in the prelude. Our call to worship this morning is found in Psalm 6, and it says, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. Do not discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are shaking. My, my whole being is shaken with terror. And you, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, rescue me. Save me because of your faithful love, for there is no remembrance of you in death. Who can think of you in Sheol? I am weary from my groaning with my tears. I dampen my bed and drench my couch every night. My eyes are swollen from grief. They grow old because of all my enemies. Depart from me, all evildoers, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea for help. The Lord accepts my prayer. 
All my enemies will be ashamed and shake with terror. They will turn back and suddenly be disgraced. My friends, as we come into this time of worship, we come to a question in Psalm 6, a question that we might have all asked, or I think we all have asked it, but perhaps not in this precise way. But the psalmist looks at the world around him. He looks at the trouble that he faces, and he asks, How long, O Lord? How long will I face these things? And then he goes on to describe the agony that sometimes is life. And yet, his conviction at the end after pondering these things is, the Lord has heard me. The Lord accepts my prayer. My friends, this should be our conclusion as well. And because of this, what greater cause for worship could we possibly have than the fact that the Lord has heard us? And he's heard us not by our own worth, not by the virtue of the things that we have done or the favor we've earned in his eyes. He has heard us based on the perfect work of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us, his people. With these things in mind, let's now go to our Lord as I lead us in prayer. Then we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together and confess the Apostles' Creed. But let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Our Father, what a blessing it is to have this time. What a What a glorious thing it is to know that though we will have trouble in this life, though difficulty comes, that in fact not knowing the circumstances everyone faced in being here today and what people are facing that want to be here but can't, what a glorious thing it is to know that you hear us, that you see, that you know what we need better than anybody else, even ourselves. And in your loving care, you provide. Oh, Father, we have such cause for worship. For the fact that we are here proves these things. The fact that you've given us this time points to your faithfulness and your love for us. So please be with us in it. As we lift up songs of praise, as we pray, as we go to your word, guide us in things that this time would be pleasing to you, that it would glorify your name And that, Father, we would be blessed as a result. We pray these things in Christ's name, and we also pray as he taught us to pray, by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now as we say the Apostles' Creed together, let me ask you, Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. 
Amen. Amen indeed. Now let's stand together as we turn in our hymnals to hymn number one. The words are on the screen as we sing, Praise ye the Lord the Almighty. Please stand with me. Thank you very much. You may be seated. And children, join me down front here. All righty. Let's see if we have enough room here. If we all scoot. Ooh, I don't know. This is going to be pretty tight. Maybe, maybe not. I, I got another idea. I got another idea. Y'all come over here. It's going to be a test today. Right, shift over here. There we go. A little bit wider pew there. All righty. Anywhere you want to, darling. Can she sit with you, Chloe? Yeah, you can sit right there beside Chloe. Video camera over there. And probably you people watching online won't hear any of this, but that's okay. And you people might not hear any of it either, but that would be a shame because today we are talking about something very, very important. In fact, it's the same thing that we started talking about a few weeks ago. We started talking about promises, right? Does anybody remember what a promise is? It's, it's when you tell somebody that something is going to happen or that you're going to do something. You make a promise to do things, right? And what we started talking about is the promises that God makes to us. And they're wonderful, fantastic promises. And what makes them so wonderful is not only what they are, 
What makes them wonderful is that God never, ever breaks his promises to us. And what we talked about in here on Sunday mornings, we talked about how God always provides a way for us to make right choices and to do the right thing. He promises that to us. We've seen that God has promised to never leave us or forsake us. So we never have to worry about being alone because he's always with us. But today I want to talk to you about a promise that goes along with that promise that God's always going to be with us. Did you know that God promises to take care of all of his people? It's true. Listen to what his word says. Now he's talking to, to people about being worried. This is Jesus speaking here. To people about being worried over the clothes that they wear or the food that they'll eat or how they'll be taken care of and all that kind of stuff. But listen to what Jesus says to him in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear, isn't life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? And then Jesus says this. He says, consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather things into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then Jesus asks, aren't you worth more than they are? Can any of you add one moment to his life by worrying? You know, what Jesus is talking about there is something important. He says, think about the birds in the sky. They don't have barns where they store foods. They don't have refrigerators, do they? They don't have microwaves to warm things up. But God takes care of them just the same. And so Jesus says, aren't you more important than birds? And the answer to that is yes. God loves you and he created you in his own image. And then Jesus goes on to talk about all sorts of other things that we shouldn't worry about because God is going to take care of us. In fact, he closes that portion of God's word by saying, your heavenly father knows what you need. Just think about that. What you wear, what you eat, what you drink. God knows what you need better than anybody else, even better than we know what we need. And he's always going to provide for us. But he tells us something else, too. He says, instead of worrying about all of that stuff, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. Y'all, what Jesus is telling us there is something really important. He says, instead of worrying about all that stuff, remember, God loves you and he's going to take care of you. And instead of focusing on those things like the world focuses on, Jesus says, keep your focus on God. Keep your focus on him. Always keep focusing on Jesus. Let me pray. Our Father, I thank you so much for these children. I pray that you would be with them, that you would help them to trust you. Instead of worrying about all the things that the world worries about, help them to keep their focus, to remember you, to believe on the name of Jesus, and please God and protect them. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all can go to Children's Church. now as they are being dismissed let's take this time to go to our lord in silent prayer remembering who he is what he has done what he will yet do remembering his promises to us as well and then i'll lead us in the pastoral prayer but let's go to him now
Eternal God and Heavenly Father, great, great is your name in all the earth. Nature testifies to your glory, and your word testifies, well, to to all the specifics of who you are, of what you are doing, of what you have promised you will yet do, and we know, we know, Father, that you are good to your word. You've never broken a single promise. Again, the fact that we're here today testifies to that. The fact that you have protected us in ways that we don't have the good sense to see. You have prevented things that we didn't even know were on our horizon. You, You have done so much. And it all testifies to your majesty. To your glory. To your power. And also to your love for the fact that that you don't look at us as the creator looks at creatures, but instead, as your word testifies to you, you view us as a father, as a perfect loving father views his children. and, And we have received so many benefits. And yet, Father, as we consider you and all your glory, we recognize that we have also failed. That as we just read from your word, you command us to not worry about all the trivial things of this life. And yet we do. We find ourselves apprehensive. We we find ourselves doubting you. Oh, Father, that you would work in our hearts. Convict us of these things. And when the, the seed of doubt begins to take root, we ask that you would pluck it out, Father, that that instead we would focus on you and on your kingdom with the understanding that all the other things will be added. Forgive us for the times that we've wanted all the other things and not your kingdom. Restore us again and again, Father, as we seek your face. And as we face trials, temptations, persecution, as we face difficulty, we pray that you would be with us. We think about those that are here today, those that want to be here that can't be here. Father, we've got a lot of things going on in this church. Different medical procedures have taken place, and people are waiting on healing. Some are facing long-term conditions. Some are just facing infirmities. So many different things. We pray that you would be at work, and that you would be at work through us. Help us to see how we can come alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ that are facing Difficulty, not just of a a physical variety, but also spiritually. Remind us again and again that you have put us together for a reason. And for those that are here that that don't know anything about Old Providence, we pray that you would work in their hearts that they would see you through us. And yet, Father, as we think about ourselves and what we face, we know that we're not alone in these things. As we consider the world around us, so many things happening. Everything from train derailments to earthquakes to, again, persecution. and and It's so much that one person can't keep up with it. Yet we know that it's not too much for you. We know that you are at work by your Holy Spirit. And yet you've given us the calling to testify to you. So help us to be ever vigilant in praying for the world around us. Help us to be ever vigilant in looking for the opportunities that you give us to take part in your grand redemptive plan. It's such a privilege. It's it's such a blessing. Forgive us for the times that we've pushed it aside. No, Father, as we consider the world, we pray that the light of Jesus Christ would shine forth. To those that are wondering and wandering, to those that are reeling from recent disasters, from war, from pestilence, from, again, so many things, please intervene in their lives. 
with the truth of Jesus Christ, that their situations would not be remedied but for a day or a season, but instead, for eternity, they would belong to you. Father, we're so grateful that you're building your church. We are so grateful that your kingdom will come in all of its fullness. But while we wait, let us be found among the faithful. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now let us continue our time of worship by standing, and this time we're in the Green Bible Songbook, and we'll sing number 196, Adoration and Submission. Please stand with me. Number 196.
Our Father, as we come to this portion of the service, we're mindful of that which we have just lifted up, that you do forgive us, you provide for us, you do so many things. Now, as we return just a portion, just a bit of that with which you've so richly blessed us, I pray that you would bless the gift, that you would bless the giver, that these things would be used in accordance with your will and for your kingdom. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated.
Thank you very much, Carl. What a wonderful reminder of God's grace active in our lives. Well, today we are continuing along in our series on the names of God the Holy Spirit, and we actually are returning to a name that we've already examined quite a bit. For several weeks, we had focused on John 14 and all the different facets of what it means that the Holy Spirit is our counselor. For instance, uh, we saw how it is only through the Holy Spirit that we can truly love God and grow more and more in our walk with the Lord. That's one thing. In addition, we saw that it is the Holy Spirit that leads us in truth because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And then certainly we can't forget that because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of adoption, that it's only because of the Holy Spirit that, that we're never truly alone. Because remember, the Holy Spirit is God's presence in our lives to guide, direct, comfort, to do so many wonderful things. But today, as we continue to examine what it means for the Holy Spirit to be the counselor, we're going to see yet another application of who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. And y'all, I can't say enough how practical this application of the Holy Spirit really is. Extremely practical. And where we see this is in the Gospel according to John, but not in chapter 14. We're in chapter 16 today. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 16, though I will have the words on the screen. John chapter 16. Now we're going to start reading in verse 1, but before we read anything, we need to stop we need to pray and we need to ask for God's help. So let's go to him now. Our Father, please be with us as we go to your word now, as we take it up, as we seek to learn from you, but also, Father, as, as, as we seek for our hearts to be changed. And if there's any here who does not have a changed heart, open their eyes that they would see. And if there's anyone here that knows you and yet is stubbornly going forward, I pray that you would get hold of them too and all of us, Father, that we would see the pertinence, the importance of relationship with the Holy Spirit, that we would see what you are doing in the world around us. Father, apart from you, we're not going to see it. We're not going to understand. So please, guide us now by your Holy Spirit. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So John, chapter 16, we'll begin reading in verse 1. Let me turn there myself. John 16, beginning in verse 1. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. Hear now the word of the Lord. Jesus said, I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. Everybody hear that? I've told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. But I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you will remember I told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going away to him who sent me. And not one of you asked me, where are you going? Yet because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will con convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, 
and you will no longer see me, and about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. And we'll stop reading right there for the moment. May God bless the reading of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Amen and amen. Now, without wasting any time, let's dig into what we've read, because a lot is revealed here. And we desperately need to understand what Jesus said and what he promised here. We started reading in verse 1 by Jesus saying, and I'm saying it again, I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. Well, before we even get to the stumbling part, what things? Right, this is sort of like if you start reading the Bible with a therefore. I've said this, I don't know how many times since I've been with you. When you start reading the Bible and it begins with therefore, what do you do? You stop and you ask, what's the therefore, therefore, okay? And if we do that with this statement in chapter 16, verse 1, you've got to go back to chapter 15. Normally I'd say chapter 14, but, but we were there several times, and I'm counting on you to remember what Jesus promised in chapter 14, that he would ask the Father to give you another counselor to be with you forever. Well, going from there to chapter 15, Jesus begins to give his disciples instructions about being united with him. Um, and we were there too several months ago when we were on the names of God the Son, when we were going through the I Am. Remember Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. This is John 15, 5. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. And by the way, the same thing remains true for you and me today. But just after this, prior to where we began reading for today, Jesus told his disciples in chapter 15, about persecution. Yes, persecution. This is a rendering of what took place in the Roman Colosseum. You know, we think about the Colosseum, we think about gladiators and, and Russell Crowe movies and that kind of thing. In reality, it was mainly a bloodbath where defenseless Christians were eaten or murdered for the crowd's enjoyment. But Jesus warns his disciples, and by extension his people everywhere at all times, about the reality of persecution, that in fact, they should expect persecution. Why? Well, he gave multiple reasons we're not all going to go into today, but the basic overall reason is revealed not only in what we just read in chapter 16, but in chapter 15, 20 and 21, Jesus said, remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name because they don't know the one who sent me. And I don't think that I need to interpret that for you, do I? I mean, Jesus is, is being pretty clear here. And again, we, we just read something extremely similar, John 16, 3. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. Jesus is speaking just as plain as day, saying that the world is going to persecute all those who follow him because they don't know him and they don't know God. And then after this, Jesus would say at the end of chapter 15, right before where we started reading, Jesus would say, when the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. Then he says, you also will testify because you've been with me from the beginning. And it's in light of this promise, you see, the promise of persecution, yes, but also the assignment to testify that Jesus then says where we started reading, I've told you these things 
to keep you from stumbling. And this, my friends, is why what we come to today in chapter 16 is so practical for us today. Jesus, all right, again, Jesus speaking here, right? Jesus, knowing the temptation that comes with persecution, he explained the dynamics of persecution, as in why the Christians would be persecuted, and he also promised that the Holy Spirit would guide through that persecution to keep them from stumbling. And if you're still scratching your head about why what we've read is so very practical, then let me encourage you to wake up and smell the small batch fair trade soy milk latte. Or coffee, as it used to be called. Let me tell you something. Y'all, people ask about this all the time. When is persecution going to come here? Persecution is already here. But we need to recognize the many forms that it takes. I say this because most often when we think about persecution, and understand this, I'm starting off with this caveat. I'm not lessening the persecution that Christians are facing around the world. Please understand that. But the reality is most of the time when we think about persecution, we think about things on the large scale. Horrible things that happen to people because they follow Jesus. Things like people being martyred for their faith. Homes being destroyed just because the people who live there are Christians. Stores being burned down. Economic livelihood being taken away. Churches being torn down and so forth. Those are the things that we tend to think about when we talk about persecution. And again, I want to be very clear. Those things are happening around the world today. Estimates are at least 300 million Christians. 300 million Christians are in serious danger, are in harm's way just because they are followers of Christ. And that's right now. Let me tell you, when I was in Africa this past fall for the conference that I attended, I was blown away by the tales of persecution out of India, for instance, where radical Hindus are finding out where Christians are worshiping and they're coming in and they are beating Christians to death horrors out of, out of northern africa right where where radical muslims are coming in they're enslaving women they're kidnapping children they're murdering men the horrors of it all because they're christian it, it's terrible and we rarely read anything about it and we needn't wonder why right i mean our news focuses on things like making us hate each other more and more every day because of politics weather balloons, UFOs, sex scandals, celebrity nonsense. That's what sells in our nation, not the systematic persecution of Christians around the world. Not only because it doesn't sell, it doesn't fit into the narrative. Millions of Christians around the world live in terror just because they belong to Jesus, as our text talks about today, as we read in chapter 15. But we need to be careful. While that is very real, and active in the world, and this is a very real picture that you are seeing right now, we need to be careful because when we think about persecution as just being those large-scale things, we miss the fact that persecution comes in many forms. And before you even say, well, I'm happy that we don't see that sort of thing in America, my response to you is, number one, we don't see that sort of thing in America yet. At least not as obviously. And number two, we are seeing the effects of subtle systematic persecution consider for a moment what you see unfolding around you i contend 
that all of the shootings, the wickedness, the immorality, the systematic destruction of history, the glorification of things that are completely contrary to God's word are the long-term effects of subtle, systematic persecution, and they've all come to fruition. Allow me to be more specific. As we watch our nation devour itself, as we see so much destroyed around us, and as we watch life become less and less valuable, should we be surprised? This is where subtle systematic persecution comes in because you see, we now have multiple generations of children who have become adults that were taught that they only exist by the product of random chance. That they're the products of atheistic evolution, that they were not fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Not only that, we have multiple generations of children who have grown into adults that have been taught to coexist, kind of, And they've watched our nation devalue human life in art, in culture, in music, in in pornography, in movies. And let's not forget state-sponsored systematic abortion. To that end, if you you saw your bulletin, you might wonder what the baby bottles are about. In our area alone, 18,622 abortions. That's one abortion per seven births. What is that, 15%, something like that? I'm not a math guy theology major you do the math but I know it's a lot one in seven that's here we have a generation that's grown up watching this being taught that this means coexisting we have multiple generations of children who have grown up in families where they were taught and saw that church wasn't a priority to their parents and y'all if we rewind generations and this has been an ongoing trend and it is We need to remember church is never going to be a higher priority to children than to its parents than it is to their parents. And we wonder why the attrition rate for 18 to 35-year-olds from church is so catastrophic. We have children who have grown into adults that were taught they'd never give an account before God. Hebrews 4.13 is so clear. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. But we've taught children they'll never have to stand for anything. Never be held accountable. And guess what? Y'all, the problem is not a wicked generation. The problem is not wicked children. You want to know what the problem is? The problem is children are really good learners and they believe what they've been taught. They were taught all these things and they believed them. And now we see a society that is shaped by these ideas as opposed to the values our nation was founded upon, as opposed to the truth of God's word. And that is the persecution that we see developing around us, all unto its own. But we can miss it. We can miss it because of its subtlety. We can miss it because sometimes we're involved in it ourselves. I say that specifically because a lot of times when we think about the crazy stuff, we think about California or New York. But I'm not talking about there, I'm talking about here. You are surrounded by it. I challenge you to find a place more liberal, and I'm not talking about politics. This, I'm not talking about politics, I'm talking about a view of the scripture. I challenge you to find a place more hellish than Charlottesville just across the mountain. 
Y'all, I've driven through 49 out of 50 states. I've spent weeks in San Francisco. We tend to talk about other places as being these hubs of evil. You don't have to go to San Francisco. You don't have to go to New York. You don't even have to go to Washington, D.C. Because it's not just Charlottesville. Let me get closer. You're surrounded by churches that aren't churches. They look like churches. Sometimes they act like churches, but they've embraced the theology of hell. And they are the begotten of the pit. They've taught generations that the Bible may say this, but fill in the blank. And it doesn't matter what you fill in the blank with. It's systematic destruction of God's word. And again, children are really good learners. They believe what they've been taught. And we've missed this as a form of persecution. But now we're seeing the bitter harvest in our nation that comes from it. This is why John 16 is so very important and so practical. This is why the Holy Spirit is so necessary. This is why we've got to get real about having a relationship with the Holy Spirit. In verses 2 through 4 of what we already read, and I'm not going to read it again, Jesus is just reiterating in 2 through 4 what we read from chapter 15, what I put up just a minute ago, that they'll do these things talking about persecution because they haven't known the Father or me. Then in verses 5 through 7, Jesus makes a bold claim. After saying why persecution is going to come, he says in 16.7, Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It's for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. Now again, that's a bold claim. But realize Jesus isn't saying that the counselor, the Holy Spirit, is better than him. He isn't saying that the Holy Spirit is more important than him. This is about function. Not quality. This is about practicality and how the power of the Holy Spirit, God's presence in your life, this is how this works. This is why the Holy Spirit and what he does is so practical and so important. Because y'all, what Jesus promised next in John 16 is what Jesus is also fulfilling today through the Holy Spirit. Have you ever wondered what work is the Holy Spirit doing right now? Well, I'm going to tell you. Look at verse 8 with me and follow me. Jesus said, when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin because they do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father and you will no longer see me. And about judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Y'all, Jesus said, it is good that I am going. And that the Holy Spirit is coming because the Holy Spirit, the counselor, when he comes, he will convict about these things. And oh, yes, he will convict. And what you see now is a world that is being convicted. And that's why you see a world where persecution is going up and up and up. He'll convict the world over sin, about sin, because the world doesn't believe in Jesus. Specifically, the world doesn't believe Jesus is the Savior of sinners. In the world's eyes, why would he be? The world doesn't think it's done anything wrong. The world doesn't believe it needs forgiveness. You don't believe me? Listen to what's going on. We're, we're in a world that says, don't judge me. You don't know me. Or the most hellish advice that you could possibly come up with. Nothing is wrong if it feels good. Can you think of a worse idea than this? Can you think of a more unloving philosophy than to tell this to somebody? 
What if murdering people feels good? To some people it does, right? What if just being a big old ball of nasty hate feels good? You ever known somebody that can't be happy unless they got something to be upset about? There's a whole world full of people like that. Feels good. But is it right? Is it not wrong to violate what it is God has revealed in his word? Before you say, oh yes, absolutely, realize you're in a world that doesn't believe these things. The Holy Spirit is here to convict, to convict the world that sin is real and that righteousness, my friends, is required. As verse 10 says, and it's only available through the perfect righteousness of Christ. And finally, about judgment, as verse 11 says, because the world, despite its best efforts to wipe away morality, despite its best efforts to replace it with relativism, despite its best efforts to hide that which is just and replace it with lies, the world knows because the Holy Spirit is at work. Romans 1 tells us that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it to them. In other words, what Paul has revealed there in Romans 1 is that knowing is never the problem. We talked about this on Wednesday night recently. You can go to the deepest jungle of the Amazon, people that have never seen a copy of the Ten Commandments. They know it's not right to kill each other because they want the things that belong to their neighbor. They've never seen the American Penal Code. They've never seen any of this. Never seen Exodus chapter 20 or anything like that. And yet they know. How? Because God has revealed it. What may be known about God has been revealed. The world knows, and yet it still rejects, and, and persecution gains steam, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And this is where you and I come in, you see. Receiving the same instructions of the disciples, and this is why the Holy Spirit is so important. Remember how chapter 15 ended? He said, when the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father... The spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You also will testify. Because you've been with me from the beginning. Now this is partially for the disciples in particular, but the principle applies to you and me. Testify is the key word. The world hates those who follow Christ, and yet we're given the commandment to share the truth of Christ, all the while being empowered by the Holy Spirit who convicts. The Holy Spirit who reveals truth in a world that denies it. And there's something of vast importance that we must remember about the truth. Oh, we can't forget it or we'll lose heart and we'll stumble, as verse 1 says. If, if you look around in you and you say, well, if the Holy Spirit is working, I sure can't see it. Remember this. Hear me now. Remember that truth has multiple purposes, but I'm going to give you two. The first purpose of truth, we tell the truth so that hearts will be changed. That's always the first purpose of truth. But my friends, when you read what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit coming, who is now here and at work, we find out that we also tell the truth as an indictment at the last day. That last day when people cry out, when they do stand to give an account before God, no one will have an excuse for rejecting the truth because of the Holy Spirit who convicts. 
and because of what God has called you and me to do, namely, to tell the truth. And that's our response to this world around us that's devouring itself. Tell the truth. Despite the persecution, despite the hatred, despite the discomfort, God's people are to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ, bearing witness, testifying, as chapter 15 ended, about his faithfulness. And we're to do so with the full knowledge that we're not alone. That the Holy Spirit is convicting. Will people turn? It should be our prayer that they would do so. Will the truth that we tell be an indictment at the last day? That's God's business, not ours. But we are to take heart in the fact that the Holy Spirit is working. Even now, even here. The question is, will you make the commitment to believe the truth of Jesus and to tell it? Remember how chapter 16 started. I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. Now, let's bring the horse all the way back around the barn. We've talked about these things. What stumbling is Jesus talking about? I think it's multiple parts. I think part of the stumbling that we may be tempted to do is to lose faith and to lose heart. To conclude that the world is going to Hades in a handbasket and it's all over and we're just going to patch things up in our own little world and retreat away. That's a temptation. But I think that the whole business of stumbling is directly linked to what God has commanded us to do and that is to testify. What's been given to us is a road map here of how the world works. You want to know what's going on in the world? You ever scratch your head and say, what in the world is going on? The world's full of sin. That's what's going on. And the roadmap that God has given us is to believe on the name of Jesus Christ, to rely on and have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, and to tell the truth, starting with yourself and to all those around you. And when the persecution comes, remember what Jesus said. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs it's the kingdom of heaven. My friends, this is the Christian life. This is the ultimate reward that we receive. But it is only for those who have trusted in Christ. I do not presume today to believe that every single person here knows Jesus Christ. That you are trusting in him alone for your salvation. If you are not, consider where you're at. You are not one of the persecuted. Isn't that an ironic thing? Because isn't the whole world around us about being offended and persecuted? If you don't know Jesus, you are a persecutor, not the persecuted. But in him is life and freedom and hope and purpose. And also the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you don't know him, turn to him today. Come and talk to me after. I'll be out there. I'd love to talk to you about this. But if you do know him, tell the truth. Don't lose heart. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us for all of the promises of your word. And certainly, in light of what we see going on around us and the likelihood that it's going to get a whole lot worse before it gets better, we pray that we would not lose heart, but instead that we would remember the work of your spirit. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as we close this time together,
Take the insert in your bulletin. The words are going to be on the screen too. This is actually out of the Trinity Hymnal. It is my favorite hymn of all time. Uh, it's 587 in the Trinity Hymnal, but on your insert. Um, the title at the top says something different. The title's Like a River Glorious. Please stand with me as we sing. This perfect peace and rest is only yours in Jesus Christ. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Please stay standing for the choral response.